Beautiful song. I just don't know when to stop singing, and I've not figured that out yet, but I love to sing it. Uh, Good singing tonight. It's good to be here and to encourage one another and to worship our God. We are so thankful that you're here. You know, hearing that beautiful singing tonight and this morning reminds me of the fact we're going to have a congregational singing the last Sunday night of this month with a Meal to follow, finger food fellowship meal. Our college students, that'll be the last Sunday they'll be with us. And I just told we can have a lot of people here. We're going to try to maybe do something a little special or unique with this singing as well. Don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be a, a wonderful period of worship. And I hope you'll make your plans to be here. You know, without a doubt, the greatest decision that an individual can ever make is to obey the gospel. To become a New Testament Christian by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What a great decision that is for an individual to make. Now we always ask the kids at Kids Sing, you know, how does one become a Christian? Now if you listen to the religious world today, you will hear a variety of answers to that question, how do I become a Christian? These answers are very, very numerous. But when you go to the Bible, when you look at the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, and you observe what people did in that day and time, you'll find the five steps of salvation as we commonly like to refer to them. Of course, one has to hear. Hearing God's word is paramount. No one can believe anything they've never heard. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 verse 17, and hearing by the word of God. But you see, the faith that is produced in a person's life and in his heart as a result of that hearing is not just a mental assent, if you please. It's not just, I believe that there is a God and I believe in Jesus Christ. Biblical faith, as is demonstrated in the book of Acts, is an obedient faith. By that I mean it's a faith that does what God says because he is the creator and he's provided the way for my salvation. And so I am willing to have that obedient faith to do what God deems is necessary to have my sins washed away. And of course, in that obedient faith, I realize, and I think it's very obvious, that one must repent. And if you ask one of our kids what repentance means, they'll tell you it means to change. That's exactly what it means. It's a change of mind that is always demonstrated by a change of life. It's a resolve in one's heart to turn from that past way of sin and turn to God. Then, of course, we read about how that one must confess the name of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. The eunuch made that confession in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. And then the culmination of our obedience to the gospel takes place when an individual is buried with his Lord in baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. We know that that act of baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. And as a result of being baptized into the Lord's death where his blood was shed, it's in that act of baptism that all past sins are washed away. That's why the Bible describes that individual who comes forth from that watery grave of baptism as being a new creation. And so here's the thrust of our lesson tonight. I've been baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I'm now a babe in Christ. You know, what would we think about somebody that maybe had a newborn baby and just left that newborn to fend for itself? Don't you think that person would be brought up on legal charges? That would be neglect. We know that a newborn cannot survive on its own in a physical sense. Isn't that true? Or what would we think about an individual that perhaps would provide nourishment for a newborn baby, but never provided the love, the physical love that child needs, the physical holding and cuddling and and being there in a way that shows that baby that that child is loved. Again, that too would be neglectful. And yet sometimes if we're not very, very careful, when someone is baptized into Christ, we think, well, our job is done. And if we're not careful, we may leave that new babe in Christ to fend for themselves, failing to realize that that individual is a babe in Christ and must also have nourishment, must also have love and encouragement to grow. And so briefly tonight, I want to ask the question, what is next after one is baptized? Now, the points that we're going to talk about tonight are many Indeed, but I'm going to talk about them very briefly. I want you to keep in mind as we go through this lesson tonight that each one of these points not only could be a lesson in and of itself, but in fact could truly be a series of lessons in and of themselves. What should an individual do after they've been baptized for the forgiveness of sins? What direction Should that individual go? Well, may I suggest first of all tonight that an individual who's been baptized needs to continue steadfastly. Over in Acts chapter 2, we read about how those individuals obeyed the gospel. And as a result, their sins were forgiven. They were added to the Lord's church. Verse 41 states that. But notice verse 42 about these new Christians. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. You see, they continued in these things. They allowed these things to become a part of their lives. The inspired teachings of the apostles, they continued in that teaching. They continued in fellowship. They continued steadfastly to do those things that would strengthen I think about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 when he was sent to Antioch. The Bible says when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all 
that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. That's what we have to do as a babe in Christ. It's a continual process. May may I suggest in the next place that after one obeys the gospel, he is to no longer live for himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, and I want to focus primarily on verse 15 when it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves live, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, you look at the world today, and the world tells you to live for yourself. Be independent. Make your own decisions. Do whatever gratifies you and what you want and what you desire. You see, being a Christian goes contrary to our human nature. We no longer live for ourselves. What we want and what we desire becomes secondary to what Christ wants and what Christ desires for our lives. That's why when I make decisions in life that may be somewhat difficult and those decisions do come in life, I've got to keep this in the forefront of my mind. What does Christ want? What is good for the kingdom of God? It's not what I want or what I desire. Along this same line, if I'm going to grow as a babe in Christ, I need to put Christ before others. The Bible makes this very clear in Matthew chapter 10. If you look down at verse 37, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's the Lord saying here? Well, the Lord is saying that Christ and our relationship with him must come before every other relationship in life. My relationship with my Lord must be more important than the relationship that I have with my spouse. It's more important than my relationship with my children or with my father or with my mother. Christ must come before anyone or anything else. You see, that's true commitment. That's building a true relationship with the Lord, putting him above all things. And then I've already touched on this just a little bit, but we also, after we obey the gospel, must walk in newness of life. Don't you just love the the word picture in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 when the text says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What's the apostle saying there? Well, he's saying that that old man is done away with. That old man goes away. That old person no longer exists. Spiritually, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
I have new desires. I have new goals. I have new ambitions. I have a new focus in life. You want to start over again? You want to start fresh? People are longing for a fresh start. Well, you can have that fresh start in Christ Jesus. And we are to begin our walk and continue that walk as a new creature. And then let me suggest as well that we need to also be dead to sin, but alive to God. As Romans 6 and verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we have been brought back from death. The death that comes about from sin through our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And now that we no longer are under the servitude of sin, we are to be alive unto God. We are to live to serve him. And along that line as well, we need to be a slave of righteousness. In Romans 6 and verse 18, the Bible says, And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. Righteousness is right doing. Righteousness is to do what is right. Now we know that God is righteous. God is holy. And we're encouraged in his inspired word to be holy just as he is holy. In other words, I actually become a bondservant. I become a slave in regard to doing what is right. Right living is what I live to do on a daily basis. And along that line as well, as we think about right living, we have to have a totally different set of priorities. Now, you go out and look at the priorities that your friends have at school and maybe your neighbors have. Those priorities are going to vary. But chances are very good that the priority of those in the world are going to differ vastly from the priorities of those who are following the will and the way of God. If I ask you, what is your goal in life? What is true success? Well, you know, the kids can answer that. Hopefully we can as well. Living your life and going to heaven, that's our focus. It's not to build up a grand retirement or to build up social prestige. Our number one priority in life is to make it to heaven, to serve the Lord, to glorify him in everything that I do. And that involves, of course, seeking things that are above. As Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, If you then are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And as you think about these priorities that we are to possess as Christians, we need to put on kindness and humility and meekness. We need to have an attitude that we're going to treat other people like we would like to be treated. As Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, talks about and emphasizes, there are characteristics here that we need to 
develop in our lives. We need to be kind one to another. We need to be tender-hearted. We need to be people who are meek, possessing humility, realizing that the source of every good thing comes from God himself. It involves how we treat other people. We recompense to no man evil for evil, but we return good for evil and thereby heap coals of fire upon their head. And then we continue to conform to the image of Christ as we think about these priorities. The Bible says, Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You see, because of Jesus Christ... We have been created as a new creation. And now we are to conform to his image. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, should not we be able to say to other people that we come in contact with because of how we're trying to live, you know, that by looking at me and observing me, hopefully... You're going to see some of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul said, it's no longer I'm who living, but it's Christ living in me. And then perhaps one of the main things that we have to focus our attention on is looking for the unseen things. And this is really where it gets down to what our goals are, what our focus is on in this life. What do we view as being important? The Bible says while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, think about that a minute. What do you see? Everything around you, anything the eyes can see. The things that you see are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to focus on things you can't see. It's easy to focus on things we can see, goals that are very tangible, it seems, but we're to focus on things that are not seen. And then I want to suggest as well tonight that when one chooses to give his life to the Lord and obeys the gospel, he must spend time with the Word of God. As 1 Peter chapter 2 says, we need to desire the sincere milk of the word. We're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it's vital to this new babe in Christ, this one who is growing as a new creature in Christ, to make worship an absolute priority. Now some of those back in the time of the New Testament, were having some difficulty with this. They were giving in to the pressure to go back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews said in particular in chapter 10, verse 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. When we assemble together, we learn to love God more. We learn to love one another more. It's a time when we are filled with nourishment and encouragement to help us to 
remain faithful to God. Then, of course, we need to spend much time in prayer. We're to have an attitude of always praying to God, realizing that God is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. We need to spend much time in prayer, talking to God, communicating with our Creator, realizing that He will help us and that He will sustain us. And then I might suggest as well tonight that we just need to do as much as we possibly can. We don't need to have the attitude that I used to have back in fifth grade, and you know, the teacher would assign a book, go to the library. Pick out a book, it's to be right at a hundred pages. I would search long and hard to find that book with one hundred and a half pages. I wasn't going to go above a hundred and two. I was going to try to to get by with the least I could do on that assignment. Didn't matter if the book was interesting or not. Just as long as it had a hundred pages in it. You know, that's not the attitude we need to have not only in life, but that's not the attitude we need to have spiritually. We need to resolve that we're going to do all we can all the time and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then I close tonight by the fact that we do need, as newborn Christians, as those who are growing and developing, we start by teaching other people. You know, the church was relatively new when persecution came on the scene in Acts chapter 8. And the Bible describes these new converts, these Christians, not the apostles, not those who were specially trained in this area, but just everyday members. The Bible says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so tonight, I, I hope you're a Christian. I hope with all my heart, that you've made that decision to obey the gospel. And if you've made that decision, as many of you have, I hope tonight that you're growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we sing this song of encouragement, and tonight if you need to respond to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.